This episode of the Unbuild It podcast is brought to you by Huber Engineered Woods. When we uh, when we talk about Huber Engineered Woods, you know we say they make Advantech, we say they make uh, Zip System, and, you know they have uh, liquid flash and subfloor glue and tape. And I think that most of our listeners are fairly familiar with their product lines. They make really high quality stuff that makes our job easier. But I also wanted to let you know that they have a couple of new products on the market that they just announced at IBSX uh, for 2021. They have Advantech X Factor uh, and they have a new uh, vapor permeable tape. Uh, and I think that those things are very important because uh, they go to show what Huber Engineer Woods is really about. They're innovating and they're problem solving before even builders like myself have asked for those things. That process of innovation has kept them at the top of the game, at the top of the pile, and that process of innovation has caused uh, builders like myself who are focused on durability and energy efficiency and really doing things the right way the first time to believe in them as a company and to use their products. Uh, we've been using uh, their original Advantech formula since uh, the late 90s as a company and we've been using this Zip System since uh, 2013. So think that that proves to you my belief in the company i hope that you'll look into huber engineered woods uh, and thanks for sponsoring the podcast let's talk construction management software and what makes a software good first i'd say the ability to tackle the task that i need it to do but more importantly the ability for my team to comprehend the software my clients to comprehend the software and everybody involved to actually want to use that software or that interface BuildBook could be that software for you. BuildBook is simple to learn and use. It allows for constant communication between you, your team members, and your clients. It doesn't waste time with unneeded features, and you won't have to send your team across country to learn how to operate it efficiently. At the end of the day, BuildBook should reduce your stress and your team's stress as well. BuildBook is an all-in-one construction software for today's builders. Whether you're a one-person operation or a large building crew, BuildBook has plans to fit your budget. They don't have any of those nagging sales calls or tricky upsells or hidden fees. You can sign up for a 10-day free trial with BuildBook so that they can teach you and show you what, what the value is of their product. You should head over to buildbook.co to get started. Don't forget to mention that you heard it from us, the Unbuilded Podcast. That's buildbook.co. Thank you, Buildbook, for your sponsorship. Welcome to the Unbuilded Podcast. I'm Jake Bruton, and today I am uh, without Steve and without Peter. I have two other guests, so there's still three people on the podcast. But uh, today, this will be the first time that we've had a Unbuild It podcast uh, without one of those two being involved. So today, we are going to talk about sheep's wool insulation. And because I'm joined with two gentlemen that work for Havelock Wool, we're going to talk about Havelock Wool brand sheep's insulation, sheep's wool insulation specifically, because it's uh, fair to ask them to talk about the product that they uh, that they hawk for a living or that they sell for a living. Uh, so let's start with uh, introductions. I'm joined by Cyrus. Say hello. Hello. And Thanks Josh. <laughs> yeah, how's it going? And let's start with uh, what are your positions in the company? How did you give me the like five minutes or less? How did you come to work for Havelock? Josh, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, well, I'm the director of sales for Havelock. I'm just a sales guy, so it's a nice fancy title. Uh, but yeah, how I got uh, interviewed or considered for the job um, was kind of less fortunate. I had a, a really good friend uh, come out and, and go skiing and and break his uh, femur on the first run. And uh, as a result, was laid up at my house for a while. 
uh, trying to get back to New York City. And in the interim, uh, one of his friends uh, came over to visit. They hadn't seen in a while. And his friend is married to Andrew, the owner of Havelock. And so that's how I got to I saw his cool hat. And I was like, what's Havelock wool? And then <laughs> I uh, had resigned from my job and taken a couple of years off to try and finish a remodel uh, and, and kind of have some fun. And um, it's probably getting time for a new job. And so I did a little market research on wool and insulation and, 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 you know, what's out there and determined that there's a, it'd be a good job to accept and help grow the company. And so it was fortunate, but unfortunate in the way that I got into it. Well, everybody breaks a leg skiing at yeah. some point, right? I think that that's the best. It's either a leg or a yeah. Sonny Bono tree sort of thing. Yeah. And that's why I very rarely ski anymore because I hugged a tree really hard one time. Yeah. And I mean really hard one time. What about you, Cyrus? Uh, Josh and I worked together in the past. And uh, so we've kept in touch, of course, with friends. And I started my own business after we both left the company we worked at previously and did that for a number of years. And again, kind of the same thing, like been hearing about what he's doing, hearing about wool and uh, was running my own small business. But since I had started, had two small children and kind of thought a a more normal job that maybe required less of my time, even at full time, would be a a better thing for me now. So yeah, I joined up over there when they needed another sales guy. And now here we are. That uh, that conversation about uh, owning your own business and taking a full-time job that would be less work. Uh, We had a conversation here with my kids the other night and we were talking about a work week is 40 hours. And my daughter said, do you get 40 hours worth of work a week? And my wife chimed in from the background. (laughs) Normally by Wednesday afternoon, he has 40 hours for the week. And I was just like, holy cow, she's right. I forget about that sometimes because I like what I do. You know, if I had to break rocks by hand for a living, it might not be as fun to spend this much time. Uh, So I thought that these two would be a good guest today on the podcast because uh, a year and a half ago, I had no idea that you could even buy insulation that was made of sheep's wool. And then as I've started to learn and over the last few days of hanging out with these guys and working on one of our projects with them as an education for our crew, uh, I have a totally different idea of what I even thought sheep's wool was. So I thought the best place for us to start is just like we talked about the other day, the place where uh, everybody that let me back up a little. Everybody that I know uh, that is aware of sheep's wool, that I've had a sheep's wool conversation about, uh, brings up all those same things that we talked about in the last couple of days where they're like, well, yeah, but it's being shipped from really far away. Or, yeah, but how many sheep does it take to do a house? Or, you know, can't we find another way to... And I'm just like, well, I kind of was on the same path to begin with as pretty much all the people that I've discussed it with. But after spending the last couple of days with you and gaining a better understanding of what we're doing and and the process of it getting from sheep to building, I have a totally different opinion on it. So I thought we would start with, okay, where do these sheep live? Yeah, well, so <laughs> the long and short answer is they're currently all hanging out in New Zealand. Uh, but one important point that I like to make about the insulation industry is why does insulation exist and where does it come from? Uh, and how do we, how is it used to reduce energy globally, nationally? Uh, there's a point we need to have insulation readily available for, uh, inexpensive cost to the mass of population. So we as a nation or a country or, uh, a world, uh, can save energy. So it has to exist. Uh, now when you start looking at the, the economics of it, it's typically made very inexpensively. It's, it's designed to be installed fast. It's designed to ship cheaply. Uh, and those are all great things because we get to, like I said, save money as a, as a nation on, on energy. But uh, when you start to make things very inexpensively, there's also uh, the introduction of chemicals or glues or the race to the bottom where the materials degrade over time as the shareholders need more. Well, and installation too. When we start talking about that race to the bottom, uh, the least skilled labor on lots of job sites, it's the insulation crew. Yeah. They have, you know, a lot of people look at roofers and concrete guys and go, that's, 
that's really hot. That's sweaty work. That's horrible. But until you've spent an entire day blowing cellulose in an attic and wanted to take a shower at lunch just so you felt like you could get food in your mouth, like there's a... (laughs) And I I use that as an example because our cellulose crew, uh, he readily goes back to the office at lunchtime and takes a shower sometimes because it's that gross. Yeah. So you have this inevitable race to the bottom and and there's nothing wrong with that. This is the the free country and the free market. Uh, But... To set the tone, no, no, Havelock and Sheep's Oil comes in as almost a polar opposite on the very other end of the spectrum. Uh, in terms of cost, I'll say it right up, the front, up front now, we are more expensive and we also do more things. Um, and so the large role for us just plays on education. But let's take it back to New Zealand. Uh, currently, uh, there are less um, sheep in New Zealand than there were years ago. The, the population there has definitely dwindled. Uh, the, the sheep market or the wool market has uh, faltered and, and we feel like we want to try and bolster and use the, that, that unused um, coarse wool because no, there is no market for it, basically. Uh, the, the particular breed of sheep that we use is a Romney breed. It's a dual purpose. It, it is used for meat. And then we grab the, the wool that, that literally nobody wants. There's some rugs, there's some home furnishings, but it's not a fine wool that you would use as like a merino uh, for wearing or for layers or for long undies. Um, and if you're curious, I looked up Romney breed the other night, actually, after Josh told me about the breed, uh, they look like sheep. They yeah. look like every other sheep that you've ever seen. Yeah. They look just like sheep. So yeah. you can just picture sheep in your head. You don't have to sp- picture a specific sheep that was raised for meat it just looks like a, every other one yeah there, there's so many great side stories we'll get to a lot of them but a lot of folks that that buy from us have raised sheep in the past they have a connection to wool they're they're knitters they put their kids in, in wool diapers they they're hunters they understand when it gets what it keeps you warm and, and that relationship has brought them closer and faster to understanding uh, why it is actually useful in your walls but let's go back to new zealand Right, so so the, the the sheep, I like to say it like this, are just partying all day long. It's pastoral. It's beautiful. There's waterfalls, glacial melt going into the the ocean. Um, there's not that many folks. Um, that's that's kind of the tone for for where the sheep are hanging up. But they're partying all day in their own uh, dung and hay and dirt and the the sheep uh, skin releases lanolins and skin secretions, and so you really have a, a smelly clump of matted wool after it's clipped and you have to clean that properly to be used, in my opinion, and I think that of most everyone else in our company, you have to clean it properly to be used as a professional building product. And so that unfortunately is something that we don't have the infrastructure to do well and at scale here in this country. And there's another history lesson back there in the late 1930s if we had 130 million sheep in the country and we chose to push towards synthetic fiber development and not really natural ones. And the cattle industry. And the cattle industry. Um, So it's still a big deal over there. I think the gross domestic product is still, you know, over half is the export of wool. So there's organized trade. You can buy and sell uh, wool easily. Uh, securely, uh, you get to specify your grade, your the diameter of, of the fiber, where from the sheep it's cut, because some uh, fiber are, have different uses for different areas of the of the, the sheep body, um, and then it gets cleaned, uh, what they call it scoured, and, and that's typically a process of either chemicals, uh, which is t- like solvents to cut grease, or in our case, lots of hot water. Uh, and slight agitation and, and multiple dips into the bowl to remove and free up the vegetable matter, which is the, the dirt and the, and the hay and the dung. And of course, the skin secretions and the lanolin. So that removes a lot of the impurities, the smell, uh, and you're left with um, still a product that not anybody wants. And, and that's where Havelock jumps in and, and, and grabs that, that, uh, that raw material. Now, we do face some scrutiny, obviously, with bringing this stuff across uh, from another country and in, in here uh, in, into into uh, the, the West Coast, which is where our, our current plant in, uh, in Nevada is. But uh, when you start looking at the 
the transportation costs and the, and the infrastructure around shipping containers uh, versus trucking around the country on LTO um, or full truck load, it, it's wildly more efficient to be using um, a, a, car, a container ship with 4,000 boxes on it. We can fit about 44 bales of wool into a 20-foot container. Uh, each is about 800, 900 pounds, and it's packed to maximum density using a 200-ton press. And so that alone is extremely compacted, um, not to kind of bear anyone with more uh, interest in the wool fiber, but it's shaped like a spring and it's very resistant to compression, which also happens to be a great thing when it's in your walls, uh, but it's very hard to compress. And uh, when we do get it over here in Reno, uh, the unpacking process is, is totally exciting too. Um, because it's so compact. Because it's so compacted. And when you release the metal bands that have this, this pressure in them, it explodes like a shotgun. There's a, a number of them, 10, 12, 14 bands. And we've gotten to the point now where we've made a metal cage to control the explosion, basically. And, and everyone leathers up and face shields up and puts their PPE on and, uh, and has at it. And it's kind of fun because throughout the, the facility, we're opening up 20, 30, 40 bales a day. And it's like, it's like fireworks, it's like 4th of July. Yeah, so everybody gets excited. So does everybody that work <laughs> in the warehouse uh, find it as amusing as you do after well, they put up with it all day? Yeah, perhaps not. <laughs> we'll, I'll speak for them. Uh, but yeah, you know, we sat down as a company a few weeks ago and kind of made up a, a triangle of like defining who we are and what we stand for and what our goals are. And a lot of it has to do with, number one, having fun and smiling and enjoying what we're doing. And, and coming to work happy. And so that, of course, means, you know, a, a, a good salary, but also um, having time off and, and family coming first and exercise and eating well and getting health is what we're trying to embrace here, not only in how we work and conduct ourselves, but in the product we sell. It's just natural that we do that, I think. Yeah. Okay, a couple of things that I should have mentioned at the beginning. Number one, we are recording out in the common space of our office. So if this sounds different than our other podcast or if you can hear people talking in the background, sorry, we're taking the opportunity to record this when these guys are in town. I also realize that every time that we've talked about this uh, on camera or the past, the past couple of days when we were talking, we talk about like the carbon impact of shipping things overseas and things like that but we haven't referenced other insulations. So first of all, carbon impact is not the only reason to use any product. It might be part of your decision-making process. It might not. You might be a spray foam only contractor and only care about what the R value is in the wall. You might be, uh, you know, the Michael Maines or Emily Montrum of the world and think that uh, the houses that you're building need to be carbon storing. It's your choice. But I think the thing that I just realized when I was listening to you this time, Josh, was if we're talking about the shipping process as the part that could potentially be like the most potentially detrimental instead of the enormous kiln that is cooking basalt to make something or the mass recycling operation that has to take place to make it. I think that we're actually headed down like a red herring there when we even discuss that. Do you think that would be fair? Absolutely. Yeah. The, we just paid some good money to have an LCA and an EPD done third party to, to show in a more professional manner what our carbon count is. Uh, and so there are some um, disappointments along that way that, that we ran into. One big one for us is that, yes, the Romney breed is dual purpose and it is going down for meat. Nobody wants the wool. We thought we'd just take it. And that counts as a, a positive for us. It, it yeah. actually doesn't. We, we, we get uh, dinged, so to speak, yeah. for, uh, for that. But the, it's interesting to, to think that we would need, that there's savings in consuming more energy to make a product than there is actually saving when it's in your home and in use. Yeah. And so there's some flawed thinking there. Yeah. Um, we use the term a lot, you, you pay to play. With every study and certification and test, 
you're, you're paying to enter this space that kind of tries to push you into a box and, and quantify you. And that doesn't always work with newer products or newer ways of doing things. So I'm not saying we're you know very progressive in, in that regard, but it's something to consider. What I thought was the most powerful message is come to my facility in Reno and look at the size of my dumpster. It is a small, you know, dumpster that you'd have in your, you know, in, in your, your your business or your home. Uh, three or four trash cans worth. Yeah, one yard. A one yard dumpster. One yard dumpster for manufacturing. And, and there's so no smokestack coming out. It's it's all run on electricity, and we, uh, you know, have very uh, efficient uh, motors that that drive the machines. And so our our power bill power bill monthly is considerably less than anyone making insulation. I know we're a very small part yeah. of the market, but it's, it's worth talking about. Yeah. Well, and we also forget as builders or architects or the people that are specking things that once we decide to build something, we've already decided to make an impact. Once we've decided to build something and we do a poor job at it, we've made a much bigger impact. If we don't do a good job air sealing or insulating or choosing where we put the building or just keeping the water out, that's way worse than, you know, one shipping container bringing 40 houses worth of insulation over in one container, you know, in one container at a time. So we have to like, everything has to be bounced off of some sort of, we're making an impact either way. If you listen to the episode where Peter and I talked to Jeff Speck, one of the things that his book walkable cities discusses is the energy intensity of a building is almost entirely uh, based off of where we locate it. So it doesn't matter if we use the most uh, progressive and forward-thinking building practices. If the house is in the mountains, it's the house is in the mountains. Yeah, you know, you'd be better off from a carbon standpoint living in a multifamily that's twenty-five or thirty years old in a walkable neighborhood. So we, it's you know, it's a red herring in my opinion. Sure, I think the the point of everything that we've talked about so far is it comes from sheep, and it's better for the environment than a lot of other things. And now we're going to talk about it from a insulation standpoint. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it would be fun. And I think Cyrus's take on the uh, Instagram influencer or the uh, the millennial, as I think he's blushing already. <laughs> I, I am one. So, you know, I'm more tech and I don't know where the line is drawn, but I'm very close or on it. Yeah. So. so I thought we would start the conversation on what the insulation actually does with a, uh, which might be surprising, a van life <laughs> discussion. The uh, the entire market of people living out of their van or their car or their SUV, whatever, you know, whatever it is, and how you guys are actually kind of involved in that that scene, that 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 society. Do you want to? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we've become very involved in that scene. Uh, it turns out the smaller a space you live in, the more you care about what you put into it. And so surrounding yourself with other things may not make sense when you are living in a hundred square feet. Um, moisture is a huge issue. It's a metal box. So you want to try to do something to manage that moisture, vent it, put a roof vent in, you know, put an auto vent in, open the doors. But also if you can have some insulation that helps manage that moisture, it's going to go a long way for you. Wool's very good at that. There's a ton of science on wool. Um, it's one of the most studied fibers of all time. So it's not marketing or salesmanship. It's university studies that say wool manages moisture. It can absorb a third of its weight in moisture. Um, so yeah, yeah. What what could be wrong with stuffing it in the walls of your van? It's going to give you the the insulation that a sheep has when it lives high in the mountains in winter, uh, and it's also going to you know protect your vehicle and yourself from from any other surroundings. And when you get that tin can in the morning, the sun comes out, condensation, or you're in there overnight breathing all night, exhausting Absolutely. into dog, it. Your wet ski gear, you know, all of all of that stuff. <laughs> I feel like you're tapped suit, in, you know, tapped well, into the. Since you immediately went to dog and wet ski gear, because I feel like the, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit, I do uh, fantasize a little bit about that van life thing and follow a few people on Instagram that live in their van that looks really cool. I, like you said the other day, uh, or like we agreed, nobody wants to poop in their car. Let's live in real houses. <laughs> but it's nice but to, to see it in like a van, you know, yeah, and, and let's go see all the wonderful vacation, places. Yeah, exactly. Not, not live in exactly. one. It's easy to be jealous listening to all of these folks that are really from wide variety of life. You know, some 
have lost their housing, their job, and now it's a financial aspect. I got to live somewhere. It's in a van. And the other end of the spectrum where I'm touring the country at a $200,000 van and enjoying every inch of this wonderful country along the way. And we're sitting there at our desks with a small window and just like, tell me more. Was it possible? What, what did you do? You know, and, and that's that's the fun we get to have is around the conversation of insulation. And I and I think that is unique. I don't know if there are the sailors, the fiberglass or the the, the spray foam guys that have fun conversations about what they're doing. <laughs> I know it's kind of indirect, but at the same time, yeah. we chuckle about it all day long. It is it is uh, a very entertaining aspect of everything that we've talked about. The And it was surprising to me with the first time that I looked at you guys on Instagram. I It took me a while to figure out how easy that is for you guys for a market share. Yeah. It does make perfect sense. Yeah. If you're going to sleep within two inches of where your insulation is, you're probably going to consider it in a different way than you would in a 7,000 square foot house. Definitely. You know, definitely. And, and mold issues in vehicles like that, you know, mildew, things like that. Well, doesn't have those problems. Well, helps with those problems. So a lot of old trailer manufacturers, um, people go to renovate them. They take the walls off. They see what's behind them. They know they don't want to put that back in. It's not going you back know? in. You, you, not, not just yeah. the stuff that actually came out, but a newer version of the stuff mm-hmm. that came out. We want to put something else in because we don't want it to end up like that because fundamentally nothing's changed in a lot of those other products. You know, and, and nothing's changed in wool in 10,000 years either, but it's always done this and it's what nature intended it to do. And so it's very good for that. Let's, uh, because Cyrus so uh, eloquently put the 10,000 years mark, let's talk about uh, wool from a historical insulation standpoint. You were giving us a spiel on that the other day. Well, yeah. So I don't know too much about it, although I claim to know a lot as, as a sales guy. I know Same everything. Here. Um, Same here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the original sheep didn't have to be sheared. So, so we bred them to, to produce uh, an insulation fiber for us. Uh, so now we're stuck having to shear our sheep and it's typically every five months, uh, different breeds have different timelines, but, but generally that, um, so what do you do with all that? Well, you have to take it off the animal. If there's no market for it, then the alternative has always been shove it in your walls and or turn it back into the soil because it's a great soil amendment um, for nutrients and, and, and water and all that great stuff. So that's traditionally what it's been is, is, is an insulation that you would put in your, your cave or put in your, your stone walled house that's very leaky and not airtight. Uh, to, to give you some warmth and, and often wet and damp and it has thrived in those environments um, that is you know now the opposite of building science where we know much more and trying to avoid that but that's where it's always come from is an insulator not only for the animal but once it's removed for the animal for for humans well we have that conversation about put a coat on yeah. if you're cold wrap your building in insulation if you're cold if you're a sheep grow more wool so that you're not cold and if the sheep can get by with it as a solution to the temperature outside, then your building, in theory, should be able to yeah. as well. The, the fiber has evolved to do so many things over however many millions or hundreds of years that you, you prescribe to. But hands down, it's evolved to do this. And so, you know, insulative value is one of the moisture management is the other. The ability to absorb harmful chemicals like VOCs is, is yet another. And if you literally Google the science of the wool fiber, you are going to hopefully have your mind blown. There is so much incredible information there. Let's talk uh, before we move on to what it actually does as an insulation, like our values and install and what we've been doing the past couple of days. Let's talk uh, real quick. The other question that I've gotten the past few days about posting stuff about wool online is the uh, allergy standpoint. And I think that we agreed yesterday that we could start that conversation with, if you're allergic to wool, you might not use it. Yeah. Like that's a, it, it sounds overly yeah. simple. Yeah, we'd hate to have you sneeze but a lot. Yeah. It's the same as you wouldn't eat peanuts if you're allergic to peanuts. And I had never really considered it before, but I'm assuming if 
you're allergic to wool at this point in human history, you probably know it because at some point someone's bought you, some grandmother has bought you an ugly sweater that was made of wool that you itched nonstop. And, you know, so chances are. Wool is a known hypoallergen. I don't think hypoallergen really has much scientific meaning other than a lot of people typically aren't allergic to it. So it's rather rare, but in yep. the thousands and thousands of customers that we now have, and we get to talk to each and every one, uh, we know that it's rather rare. Um, so we, we, we've infrequently run into it. And I was looking into wool allergies last week for this type of conversation. And one of the things that I read was like, chances are you're not allergic to wool. Chances are that sweater was poorly made and had synthetic fiber in it and it was itchy. And that's why you thought you were allergic to it. You weren't actually having a skin reaction to the chemical. You were rubbing sandpaper on your skin in the form of clothing. And that's why you didn't like it. Yeah. We, things have progressed some in, in carding and the processing of, of the loose fiber of wool, but there is some technology now involved and they are able to get um, the wool to, to lay flatter, know which kinds and breeds they're using, which, you know, Merino, for instance, a nice fine hair uh, that doesn't have a lot of scales on it. The, the, we use the Merino, like we said, or I'm sorry, the, the Romney, uh, but it's a coarse. So under a microscope, it's got a lot of scales on it. And what do those scales do for us? They trap air. And that's what we're trying to do. We do have tons of Instagram shots and folks, you know, wrapping themselves in the wool uh, you know, bats that we send them or the, the installers in the job are like taking a nap and they're sleeping on their wool pillow, getting some Z's. Uh, but yeah, that kind of stuff is far and few between. It's in your walls and mostly removed from you. Yeah. yeah. I think a pretty interesting thing too is I've had a number of customers think they're allergic to wool and ask for a sample and we're happy to send them. Put them in a box, sometimes ask to bag them up first and then put them in a box so they're not, you know, affected by the shipping process. And uh, I haven't had a single one say that they had any reaction to it. So I don't know what the reactions they'd had in the past were, but I always follow up with them and they always say it didn't bother me. And that's immediate, like firsthand contact, open the box up, stick your face in that kind of thing, you know, not it behind your walls, which isn't even, you know. You crack up to see what our sample box literature says you know hey have luck wool welcome thanks for requesting this number one rub it on your face number two stick in a glass of water you know number three parade around the house and, and, and scream and yell and then number four put it in your garden and and let it amend the soil yes and, and then let us know if you're interested kind of thing yeah it's really interesting to us it's a, a good pr and marketing <laughs> yeah. box for yeah. sure <laughs> Uh, okay, so the last uh, two days, or last two and a half days, uh, you guys flew in from Reno, from, let's call it, World Headquarters, yep. uh, and helped uh, my crew install blown-in and bat version of Havelock Wool at our Hilltop Aero Project. You can find more about that on Instagram as well. It's hashtag Hilltop Arrow. But let's talk about the blown in process that we went through the last few days. Either one of you want to take it? Yeah. Uh, so the, we, we make two basic products, right? Loose fill, which, which is blown into a, a cavity or a bib. Uh, and then a bat product, you know, or a fancy rectangle. Um, the loose fill product is, I, I think it's the category winner. It, it ships very efficiently. It's got a very high R value of, of R 4.3 per inch. Um, and the coverage on it is great. Uh, so basically at the factory, we, we roll or spin the individual fibers into balls. You can call them knops with a K. Uh, and, and those balls are now designed at the right humidity and the right moisture. You can kind of manipulate the wool fiber. Then uh, that ball now traps even more air than it did before because we've manipulated it. Uh, and then we compress that into to vacuum bags to get an enormous bat, 25 pound bag, which really would take up four by four by probably six foot tall into 18 inch round sausage. That's, that's 14 or sorry, four feet long. But when it gets to the job site, then we, we break them open and uh, we would put up, we staple up a mesh like you would for almost any other product. The mesh that we prefer to use, although as you've seen, we can use almost anything that has some holes in it. Uh, because the fibers are so sticky that they tend to stay behind. There's a lot of air that gets introduced into the blowing process. 
the wool stays behind in the wall and the air has to escape. So, you know, a quarter inch, an eighth inch uh, mesh works great for us so it can exhaust all that air. We started with like Intello and some of those other vapor open membranes blowing into them and where they designed to do the airtight. And then you have to poke enough holes to let the air out and you end up using more tape. Than and then was. you don't have a vapor barrier or an air barrier on yeah. that product anymore. That makes sense. Uh, so the, the couple things that we noticed when we were spraying was number one, Cyrus was running the, the uh, intelligent end of the assembly and Cyrus was just pushing his hand on the wall. And that's something that I recognize like fully and completely from our cellulose installer or fiberglass installer. They've done it enough times that they feel like they have an understanding of what that, that uh, firmness or bounciness or whatever you want to call it, that, that pressure inside there. But you guys explained it as it's 48 square feet of two by six in each bag. Do the yeah. math, open the number of bags, make sure that you put all that insulation in those bays. Yep. And then just go back if you didn't put enough in one. Yeah, that's how you would do it to start if you haven't done it a bunch. We've done it a fair bit, so you do get a feel for it for sure. But it's uh, 1.13 pounds per cubic foot. So you do the math, you separate out how much you need per bay, you blow that into the bay, and after you do that a handful of times, you'll start to see what it looks like and how it feels once you've done that. And then you can stop measuring and just kind of start going through the house like your cellulose or fiberglass guys do. They have a special tool. They usually push it against the studs has a little spring and it uh, with a little plunger and it tests the density of their material and that's how they can check to see if it's correct. And after you've done that a handful of times, you can start doing it without the plunger. So it's the, the beautiful thing though, right, about the wool fiber, I know it's corny because the fiber has so, so much integrity to it, uh, but it has a, a natural uh, loft that it wants to be at. So of course we test to make sure that we have the correct density per, per cubic. Um, but what's really nice about the wool fiber is that it's not very specific. The, the, the curve is more broad at the top. So with other fibers, I won't, I won't dig on them, but they're, they have, the, the fiber has less integrity. There is a very specific amount you need to get into that wall to get the R value. If you get too much, you go back down the curve. If you have too little, you go back down the curve and you lose your R value. And, and wool, because again, it's a natural insulator isn't as specific. We have a specific number. If you're a little under, if you're a little over, as long as you're air sealing, you're getting all the value out of that. So in my opinion, it's easier because you don't have to be so specific on what you're doing. You have a broader range that it's still effective. So, uh, you know, if you have, uh, I'll say fiberglass or whatever, if you have fiberglass, the insulative properties come from the voids. They come from the air gaps that are in the product. But if those air gaps are enormous, like I can stick my thumb into it, I compromise a 12 inch radius around wherever I can put my thumb into it without touching any material. If I pack it too densely, it becomes solid. You know, if you, if you were to take it to the extreme, you, you could pack it to the point where it would literally have no voids or very few voids and it loses its insulative. It becomes a conductor at yeah. that point. So the other good thing that you just brought up was air sealing. This is an air permeable insulation, the same as the other fluffy stuff that we've talked about. This is not an air barrier. We still need to be managing for air movement before we talk about any fluffy insulation as well. Uh, now, we I made the comment that Cyrus ran the intelligent end of the operation. Uh, myself and Josh and uh, Brad and Sydney ran the uh, less talented side of the operation. And I thought it would be nice to talk about that side of the install because it is not the same as other fluffy stuff insulations. Do one of you guys want to? Yeah. So you can go uh, and rent a, a cellulose or a fiberglass blower at the local shop or maybe Home Depot, a big box store of that sort. Um, those blowers typically have augers in them uh, that, that crush up and aerate the, the brick of the material you've bought. And then that goes through a fan and an airlock. And so again, the integrity aspect of the wool fiber is just so strong. It is not brittle like cellulose. It's not brittle like stone wool or glass wool. Uh, and so when you start winding it around, it literally winds up on moving parts and it will bind or wind so incredibly that number one, you will scream for three hours straight as you're trying to pull it all out. So, for that reason, we try to steer away from the more conventional blowers and we use something else. 
that's still recognized in the installation insulation category. It's an insulation removal vacuum. Number one, we have to kind of admit it's kind of funny that exists. Why did the insulation go bad in the first place? Well, it did, and now we got to remove it. So you suck all that out. What we do is use that same exact machine, and what we say is we run it in reverse. The machine, the engine's not going backwards. The blow hose becomes the suck hose. That's the reverse part of it. And we use it as a blower. So uh, when we flew across the country, we didn't bring a big hopper with us or anything. We brought uh, a six-inch you know, duct return vent, and we cut that into a, a sheet of plywood and put it on a table and took a bunch of the plastic bags and stapled it up on the plywood so it's a nice and slippery surface. And we just broke bags open, and with our hands, we just tear off puffs and throw them into the, the six-inch vacuum, and that goes through, uh, hits the metal impeller, uh, from the gas-driven engine, and then shoots it out to the other side through a six-inch hose that's, I'm sorry, a four-inch hose that's reduced to a three-inch stinger or whip at the end so we can get it into a cavity fine and start the party. And we had, uh, yesterday, we had job site visitors, uh, two other builders from town stop by, and uh, one of them was standing next to me, breaking up wool with his hands and throwing it in there, and I thought, number one, I didn't explain this to him. He just saw what we were doing and understood it and decided to help. And then he said, this is fun. And I thought, well, you haven't been doing it for two days, but okay. <laughs> like anything that's repetitive like that, halfway through the first day, I was like, oh, I can totally put my headphones in and listen to a podcast while I stand here with three other people because there's a, a you know gas engine running a little ways away that's the, the blower or yeah. the vacuum. Yeah. And it can be kind of mindless. Yeah. Well, and he just decided to jump in. Too. Yeah. It's like it's not very often uh, a builder is going to come to a job site and see a job being done and just decide to jump in and help. I think that's you know? a testament as to who Peter and Alex are. Yeah, they yeah, just perhaps. Walked over and he was like, I'm here for the full experience. I came to see this. I want to see what it's like. Let's figure this out. Well, he should have tapped my shoulder out and handed him the hose. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the takeaway from me, and I was waiting for it because you could see the smile on his face. And when he said, This is fun. I was like, if it wasn't COVID, I might be hugging you right now because you nailed it. When's the last time is you heard an insulator yeah, say this is borderline fun? fun. It's work. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but the work gets a lot worse than that. Yeah. And he said, oh, I think I'm going to be done now. This is iPad. <laughs> he said, I think I'm going to be done now. That was a lot of work. And I was like, only the trim carpenter would say, yeah. <laughs> standing still for five minutes and moving just my arms in an yeah. unconditioned area would be too much work yeah. for a moment. Yeah. I mean, it's an unconventional way to, to insulate. Of course, it's sheep's wool. That's unconventional in, in this country. We'll change that. Give us some time. Uh, but yeah, the, the machine is unconventional as well. I think the, the industry, the installation, insulation, installation industry is, is very, is typically very low margin. There, there's not a lot of money on the deal. And so if an extra day or you messed up on your bag count, when you incur that loss, your, your margins eviscerated very quickly. And, and so, like we said before, insulation is designed to be installed with speed, typically by, by lower mm -hmm. skill or lower, lower skill worker. Um, and that's fine. But uh, when, when you get to this point, a little bit more time to get a better product um, isn't the end of the world. And what we try to educate the consumer on is just that. Here's a look into someone's books who owns an insulation company. This is what they make. This is why you're going to probably resist, get some resistance when you ask them to do this. Here's how you can do this on your own. And here's a list of people that don't mind doing this because they see the value in it. And I think that, I mean, you're steering it sort of towards the cost conversation it you said immediately it is more expensive than some of the other installations on the market it is a higher r value or relatively closer higher to the other fluffy stuff insulations so we're not taking a hit there by making a choice uh the only uh you know besides besides being a most likely more health conscious decision uh you get a small R value bump and it costs a little bit more. And the conversation is, well, so does 5-8 drywall. So do Silestone Group A instead of Group C countertops. So do 
uh, garage doors that have full glass in them. You make a set of decisions on every project. We are faced every day with choices that all have a financial implication. And many of those choices that have a financial implication are not made solely off of the financial implication. And so my, uh, you know, this is a very sales pitchy uh, podcast for us. I mean, we're just talking to one manufacturer. It's just me. Uh, I'm not forcing them to task on anything because I don't think there's anything that I'm like, yeah, they are both uh, substantially taller and larger than me. So maybe I am handcuffed right now and I don't have any choices to what I say. Uh, no, the good work. Yeah. <laughs> wrap it up, Jake. Yeah, yeah. You're getting a little wordy there, buddy. Uh, it, no, it, it's just everything is a decision. Everything is part of a larger uh, process and we just have to educate ourselves on uh, what's available. And that's why I wanted to they didn't know they were going to do a podcast today. I impromptu said, hey, do you want to do a podcast? Because like I said in the beginning, a year and a half ago, I didn't know that cheap full insulation existed. And it's a pretty darn interesting product. And maybe we don't help you guys sell anything from doing a podcast like this, but we just have enough people get educated that at some point they go, oh, I do have a solution to that. I mean, we could use sheep full instead of X or whatever it is. Uh, or maybe you like sleeping in your car and this product is that makes it sound horrible. <laughs> and this is a, a thing for, for you. Uh, is there anything that we missed like that would be if you were the, the website, the FAQ section of the website? Yeah. That yeah. I wrote that too. But your boss will be like, come on, why didn't you bring that up? So we call ourselves healthy, high-performance insulation. So there's the health aspect. We went through a, a lot of that um, healthy for the occupant, the person who has to live in this house that you've built or you built yourself healthy for the planet, that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the high performance and I, my wife will not listen to this podcast. So, so I, I don't risk anything <laughs> here, but when she brings home organic dish soap, I, I smirk and say, is it really going to cut the grease? You know, organic laundry detergent. You know, there's, I feel like you're sacrificing something by, by that, that title uh, of organic. Obviously, you're not. Uh, but the high performance aspect is, is real. The, the higher R value, the ability to uh, absorb sound, it is a high, it scores high on the, the NRC, the noise reduction coefficient um, for the ability to absorb sound. Um, it, like we said, it likes to manage moisture. It passes the mold test. Uh, it does a lot of really interesting things. It absorbs VOCs. Uh, and, and so the high performance part, you pay more for a product that does more. If it gets out of the realm of what insulation is typically supposed to do, uh, you're not supposed to want to absorb and release moisture from insulation. It's supposed to be hydrophobic. The stuff that was made long ago was hydrophilic. It absorbed it. That doesn't work. We want something that repels it. This does. But when you start to look at the science of the wool fiber and its ability to absorb and release, um, you realize it's not wet to the touch. It's not a sponge you can wring out. Uh, it through that process, uh, it absorb of absorbing and releasing. There's heat generated. There's cooling effect generated. And so everyone talks about insulation as saving money. That the idea is to save money on, on your heating bill, and and the wool insulation does that. But what it also does is it modulates temperature as temperatures swing outside your heat comes on less, your AC com comes on less on the inside because it helps buffer that uh, for humidity and temperature. And that's high performance. That's what you're paying for. We should, uh, let's, let's start to wrap up, but let's also not forget to talk about, uh, more it vans. has more vans. <laughs> no, the, uh, the other question that I got that I didn't even think about earlier when we started this conversation is, uh, well, is it flammable? First, we can start with nothing gets approved by code to go into your walls with, I mean, you are building your house out of wood, most yeah. likely, that is flammable. So everything on some level just about is flammable, uh, but it has a class A fire rating for the, is it ASTM E84? Yep. E uh, and that's achieved partly by the fact that wool is naturally uh, fairly self-extinguishing, but it also is treated as well. Can yeah. you? Well, so wool, uh, sheep's wool, in case there's any clarification out there needed, won't support a flame. 
has a very high nitrogen content. Nitrogen doesn't help burn. So um, we have that going for us. The stuff is not going to catch fire like a chemical-based uh, insulation or one made of paper. So what we do is we have that going for us and we don't need a lot. We use just a little bit of boric acid to, to go into the class A because we think that's a big deal to the occupant, to the builder. Certainly the, the code officials love that too. So we get a little bit of boric in there to uh, get that class A, ASTM of E84. And, and the rest is, is just easy. Uh, the boric also helps with the resistance to bugs and moths and mold and mildew. So it has some other uh, benefits. And you'll see when you, if you're able to read labels of other insulation companies, it's if added you to, are able to read those added labels. to a lot of different products that are insulation. In a lot anyway. higher percentages. Absolutely. Okay. So I just wanted to record the podcast, like I said, to just say, hey, I, I didn't know about this, you know, and I think it's pretty interesting, uh, interesting enough that we decided to put it in one of our houses and see if we like it so far. The house is in condition, so I can't tell you if it's working or not, but I think that the, uh, the, the conversation is worth having. Uh, if you have questions for Havelock is, uh, should they just direct them to the website? Call, email, smoke signals, stop okay. by, have a for a beer, whatever your preference is for communication. And if I Instagram message you, do I get <laughs> Cyrus? Or yeah. do Directly I... to me. Okay. Yeah. Yep, you'll get me <laughs> straight off. Or TikTok, if you know how to TikTok. Oh, well, there we'll we go. That as well. yeah. Okay, yeah. so look for Havelock on TikTok. <laughs> this is going to be a good conversation yeah. for me to have with Peter about why that was what we talked about. Yeah. Uh, I think that might be the first time that TikTok TikTok's has been not a mentioned on the podcast. Okay. Across now. <laughs> okay this is the unbuild it podcast thank you guys for listening look up havelock wool look for the uh hilltop arrow project that's the house that steve and i are doing together you can see a bunch of that stuff on build show network you can see it on my instagram and i'm sure that there will be more conversations about the wool and uh how it's working as that house progresses uh, thanks for listening today. Don't forget to go to um, iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. If you have questions, it's questions at unbuilditpodcast.com and subscribe. The only way that we know that you're listening for sure is if you are a subscriber and you download all the episodes. And as Steve puts it normally, don't hesitate to sign up five or six times through different email accounts. Uh, sign your kids up so that they get a version of this as well. So thanks for listening. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you. Good to be here.